There's only 18 Fridays till Christmas. Did you know this? I know, I'm causing stress with just that one sentence. Um, so, uh, if you're a Griswold guy, if you, uh, if you like Buddy the Elf, if you like Miracle on 34th Street, this is the time. You've got to get that out. Why am I talking about Christmas? Because Operation Christmas Child is coming up, and Melissa's going to share a little bit about that. Good morning. Um, I'm a member of the GO mission team, and um, I've also been given the privilege of being in charge of Operation Christmas Child. Um, so I want to tell you a little bit about what we're doing this year. If you've been around uh, from Crosspoint, you know that this is something we do every year. This year, we really wanted to get it started nice and early to give us as much opportunity to make it huge as we could. Last year, we ended up packing and sending off 236 shoeboxes, which I think was probably a record. Um, so, of course, in the spirit of all record-making, the goal this year is to get more than that. So we're starting in August. Uh, just to kind of make it interesting, we're doing different themes each month, um, and also with the idea that maybe things are on sale. So August, obviously, you're um, overwhelmed by school supplies, probably in your home and certainly in the stores. So now's a great time to stock up on some school supplies to bring in. In September, we're going to focus more on toiletry, personal care kind of items. So soap, washcloths, combs, brushes, that kind of thing. Um, and then in October, we're going to do more like toys, so little matchbox cars, little dolls, things like that. Um, I'll have some examples at the back um, over the next week or so to, in case you uh, can't come up with any ideas of your own. Um, and Becky's also provided some details in the program for you. Uh, so it's a big blue bin back underneath the table uh, at Guest Connections. Don't feel like you have to, you know, you can bring us school supplies in September. We'll take them, certainly. Or if you have some socks to give away left over from the last mission project, you can give them to us now, too. Um, some other ways you can get involved, though. So certainly we'd love for you to bring anything uh, donation-wise that you'd like. Um, if you prefer to pack your own shoebox, you're welcome to do that as well, and then you can just bring us the shoebox. Um, we'll also take empty shoeboxes. Last year we had the really nice problem of having more things than we had shoeboxes. So we actually had to send out an emergency uh, shoebox shopping trip. So if you have some brand new shoes for school and you'd like to bring us in the empty box, that's great too. Uh, we'll also take monetary donations. So we pay for the postage to send the shoeboxes. So if you would rather um, uh, donate that way, that's fine. Or uh, one last opportunity, we have a huge packing party in November. So we'll take a Sunday and all the Sun Chasers kids will get the chance to pack probably multiple shoeboxes. They, they were able to uh, pack more than one each last year. So we always need some extra hands for that and we always need some extra hands for transporting those 236 plus shoeboxes uh, to the drop-off site too. So a lot of different ways you can be involved. You can contact me or you can contact Becky um, if you'd like to help out. Thanks. Thanks, Melissa. You guys want to go ahead and play the uh, Operation Christmas Child video? To some, it may just be a shoebox. But to millions, it is the start of the greatest journey. Traveling the world, sent with prayer, shoebox gifts fill the hearts of children from over 100 different countries with hope, faith, 
and love. This is the story of Operation Christmas Child. Operation Christmas Child reaching the farthest places around the globe by sharing this tangible, simple, but powerful gift. Every box we give out, we try to give out in the name of Jesus Christ. We want to make Christ known uh, to every kid. And uh, we see every year tens of thousands of kids put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Greatest Journey is a 12-lesson discipleship program that many children have the opportunity to participate in after they receive a shoebox. Children are now running to the churches that used not to go to church on Sunday. Operation Christmas Child, you're bringing life back to the church. All right, so thanks for um, beginning to bring in stuff. Starting next week, 18 Fridays left, less Fridays before we pack those shoeboxes. So thanks for giving, and uh, that's one practical way that we are driven to reach people. Last week, we began a new four-week series called The Church That Dreams. If you missed that week, I'd encourage you to listen online as it kind of sets the stage about where we're going this month, as well as give some vision for our church. When you're young, you tend to uh, dream big dreams. And you should. If you're a parent, you should be cultivating that in your child, an attitude and perspective that dreams big dreams because we follow and worship a big God. But but what can happen as we get older is that perspective uh, gets more and more focused on the day-to-day rather than the future. The same pattern can happen for a church, especially a church plant like ours. Early on, you dream big dreams about what God can do in and through this ministry, and you begin to see that happening by the grace of God. But if you're really not intentional, if you're not purposeful, over time, the church's perspective becomes more and more inward focused, more and more on the day-to-day ministry, just trying to get through another week, which then leads them to stop dreaming. One characteristic among many of a healthy church is that its leaders, its volunteers, its people, they dream. They don't box themselves into their own limitations, but they dream about God's possibilities because they are continually reminded that we serve and worship a limitless God, a God who transcends time and space, who continues to change lives, who is sovereign over all, and yet who has come near in a very personal way. Listen to how 1 Chronicles 29, 11-13 describe our God. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. I am grateful that we do not follow a weak, limited God, but rather we follow a a, a personal, strong, unlimited, majestic, powerful, all-knowing, everywhere in this world, God. This is why we are utterly and completely dependent upon him. I read an article this last week that talked about the ways the the devil loves to attack the local church. And there were several things talked about, but this one stood out to me. In a sense, if you were to look in the enemy's playbook, this would be one of the plays or schemes that he would love to use. It's the trap or scheme of self-dependence. And the way the enemy attacks the local church through the scheme of self-dependence is very subtle. When a church becomes self-dependent, it begins to operate simply out of its own strength and power. The church begins to rest on man's wisdom and man's power rather than God's wisdom and God's power. 
The church tends to act first and pray second or talk planning first rather than praying first. And there's nothing wrong with acting or planning. Those are biblical things. You want to be part of a local church that acts and plans. But when we skip right over the bedrock of prayer and fasting, then we are revealing this trap of self-dependence that we're falling to. Sometimes in my life, I've, I've, I've noticed why. I haven't really haven't prayed about that very much. Well, right there, I'm, I'm beginning to fall to the, to the trap, the scheme of self-dependence. Crosspoint, as a church, we can't pr- fall prey to that scheme. We must continually confess our, our need, our desire for God, not only in the life of our church, but in our individual lives. That our first hunger and thirst is for God himself. That he is the one we seek. Because when you read verses like 1 Chronicles 29, 11-13, and you realize how, how great he is, and then you couple that with Jesus giving an invitation to us in the Gospels to come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or you read an invitation to pray without ceasing or pray continually in our lives, then why would we not accept such an invitation? If the king of Spain... The Queen of England called me up in my celly tomorrow and said, hey, I want the Steinbeck family to come over for dinner. I would take them up on it. Why? Well, because royalty has called. Royalty called. They invited the Steinbeck fam over to dinner and into relationship. I'd have to work on my table manners. I'd have to brush up my football, those kind of things. But we'd go, we'd go because we'd been invited by royalty. Crosspoint, we've been invited by divine royalty. And not just for dinner, but a lifetime of relationship. We've been invited by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, into relationship and into communion with Him. And so so we don't just come to Him to get things from Him, but we're invited to live our lives, not just eternity, but live our entire lives here on this earth with Him. So this invite is always there. And better yet, for those who are in Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you at all times. The king of the universe has asked us to to seek him, to hunger after him. And when a group of people begin to do that, when a local body of Christ begins to hunger for God, then that church naturally begins to dream. It's a natural byproduct of hungering for God, dreaming about what is around the corner, what's up ahead, how he wants to use us for his purposes, the work yet to be done in this community and in this region and in this world. The church that dreams is first the church that prays and fasts. The church that dreams is first the church that hungers for God. And that's where we're at this month, Crosspoint. We, we are being invited by the King of Kings to take some next steps in prayer and fasting. To grow in these habits of a Christ follower. And we don't grow out of them or we don't grow in them out of burden or obligation, but out of invitation to grow to be more like him out of his grace, not out of our own strength, the grace that he continually shows us through the cross. Last week, we looked at the the what and the why of fasting because for many of us, fasting is this pretty foreign concept to uh, the habits of a Christ follower. The definition that we've been using for fasting comes from the Village Church in Dallas, Texas. It says this, fasting is a voluntary abstinence from something for a period of time for the sake of maturing in self-discipline. Biblically, fasting relates to food and drink. But we've been using this definition because in our day and age, uh, we need to be, we should be, we need to be open to fasting or abstaining from anything that would dull our hunger for God. I know of at least one cross point of this last week. 
that she took a break from Facebook. And instead of spending the time there, spent it with the Lord and trying to be intentional with setting aside uh, time with Him. So going without in order to be with. And this is not just a knock on social media or just kind of using that as a scapegoat by any stretch, but really anything that's cluttering up our lives or that we're running to or running after instead of running to our God. So when you're bored, what do you run to? When you're stressed, what do you run to? When you're completely maxed out, what do you run to? Those are the things we need to uh, examine and kind of lay before the Lord. J.I. Packer said this, One of the most basic biblical insights is that whatever controls and shapes one's life is, in effect, the God one worships. So when it comes to fasting, we are often exposing this idol or thing in us that's trying to control or shape us. Because by going without it, we are oftentimes realizing our natural tendency to rely upon it, this this natural tendency to, to depend upon it. It's exposing that, man, I really want whatever that is. In those moments when you're going without, it's exposing that in your heart. Man, I really want that, but I'm trying to show self-discipline. I, I need your, I'm hungering for God. I'm, I, I need your grace. I need your power because I don't want to run to this, Lord. I want to run to you instead. When it comes to food, for example, what I've come to realize in my own life is that one unhealthy escape for me sometimes is food. That when I'm stressed or feeling the pressure that my mind wants to go to food is the thing to rely upon or find comfort in or to minister to that need, if I were to say that. What I'm recognizing through uh, when I fast, though, is how God is renewing my mind. In a, in a, in a, in a, so I'm no longer hungering for the caffeine, the sugar, the food to minister to that stress. But instead, I'm going to prayer. I'm going to the Word. I'm going to community with other believers I'm going to my wife in fellowship with her to minister to that stress or minister to that that need, that area that needs comfort. Because while food serves as a temporary relief, it does, doesn't it? It it, it sends off endorphins in your brain, all sorts of scientific things, I'm sure. But when we run to food, we run to anything or anyone other than God to find our ultimate joy and satisfaction, then we're worshiping the created thing instead of worshiping the Creator who is to be forever praised. That's Romans one twenty five. We are believing a lie that this created thing, again, whatever it may be, this isn't just food, but we are believing that this created thing, that in that thing we will find rest for our souls. In there we will find ultimate peace or ultimate joy, when in fact it's only in Christ that we find those life-giving and eternity-changing truths. Last week, we looked at the following 10 reasons that Donald Whitney gives when it comes to why we fast. To strengthen prayer, to seek God's guidance, to express grief, to seek deliverance or protection, to express repentance and return to God, to humble oneself before God, to express concern for the work of God, to minister to the needs of others, to overcome temptation and dedicate yourself to God, and to express love and, devo- and, love and worship to God. I put these in front of us again because I believe the Lord is asking us to take some next steps when it comes to fasting. And you and I, as we look at that list, there's at least one or two reasons or purposes that God is specifically wanting you and me individually to fast for. So again, I would encourage you to write that down if something comes to mind, if if one of those, a couple of those kind of stand out to you. So what's fasting? Why do we fast? Now today I want to look at the how of fasting. Some nuts and bolts, if you will, of what it looks like practically in our lives. 
And then we'll finish with what Jesus taught, uh, taught us in, about fasting in Matthew 6. But first of all, the how of fasting. I've got five practical thoughts for us. And the first one is this. There's more than one way to fast. So how long you fast, what you fast from, the answers can change. God has not necessarily commanded us to fast for 40 days. I would not encourage you to start there. All right? The process is less important than the purpose as to why we enter into that fast. The process is less important than the purpose behind it and why we are going without. The Daniel fast gets talked a lot about in our culture right now. It's kind of the uh, latest thing. Uh, the gist of it, it comes from the book of Daniel and uh, follows his diet. It's basically eating veggies and water. You could fast from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. If you're a big evening snacker, instead of maybe spending time over the cereal bowl or ice cream bowl, because those are my two one-two punches, um, instead of that, maybe spending it uh, with the Lord in prayer during those 30 minutes. Maybe you could fast from sunrise to sunset. When I worked in the corporate world, I would often fast over lunch. That didn't mean I didn't have money for lunch. Uh, it didn't mean that I just wanted to work through lunch. Instead, it would maybe I'd take a walk around the building for 30, 45 minutes and pray. Maybe I'd just sit in the atrium and read my Bible or read a book or pray sitting in the atrium. There's more than one way to fast. The goal is to go without so that you might be with Jesus in prayer, to be more in tune to his voice, to be more in tune to his living word in the Bible. The next idea, health concerns. If you have a specific medical condition that's impacted greatly by your, by your diet, by food and drink, that I would encourage you to consult with your doctor before beginning a fast. If you're pregnant or nursing, obviously that's going to impact uh, your fasting. If you have a history of eating disorders and you're overcoming that by the grace of God, then be really cautious about walking into a fast that may trip something up or, step, or cause you to uh, be set back. All that to say, though, if fasting from food is not a medically sound option for you, there are other things you can fast from. This stretches beyond food again. And so I would encourage you to lay that before the Lord. Ask Him for wisdom as far as the next step. Maybe ask a trusted friend or someone who knows Jesus and ask for their insight and their discernment on it. Either way, whatever you're going without, you're then going to spend that time being with Jesus. The next idea, plan ahead. If you have this really big family, neighborhood, or work cookout, or special occasion approaching, you may not want to fast on that day. It can create this awkward time. If the means of relationship is around a table with food, and you're the guy, you're the woman sipping water, it creates it awkward for everybody else and awkward for you as well. If you're going to fast when it comes to uh, going without meat or carbs, without sugar, those kind of things, uh, you're going to need to go grocery shopping. You're going, to look at, you're going to have to look at your cupboards so that when you're in the middle of the fast, you're not kind of scrounging around going, there's nothing to eat around here. Well, then plan ahead and consider what you can eat and, um, and be prepared. Drink lots of water. Expect to have lower energy levels. During a fast is probably not the time to start running five miles a day. And before you enter into the fast, don't consume 5,000 calories. It's a, like, it's not your last supper. You will survive. You will survive. I promise. So even if you skip lunch, skip, skip supper, go without 12 hours, go without 24 hours, you will survive. All right? The next thought, start slowly. I probably wouldn't go out today and go, well, next time I eat is the potluck next week. Probably wouldn't start there. 
Instead, I would challenge you to do this. What meal are you going to skip this week? What meal are you going to skip this week and instead spend that time in prayer in the Word? And then maybe the next week, what day are you going to fast? Or what 12 hours are you going to fast? Again, this is about taking next steps in order to be with, with Jesus and in order to do that, to be without whatever is dulling our hunger for God. He continually invites us to the table, if you will, where living water is served, where the true bread of life is served. The last idea, when the fast ends, you fasted for a day or two, your stomach will have shrunk. Uh, When you break that fast, this is not a time to make up for lost time. It's going to be tempting. Don't do it. Again, if one of the goals is to mature in self-discipline, then you're, you're going to need to walk wisely through that reentry process. You want to take some lessons from whatever God has taught you during the fast and apply those then to your everyday life. Fasting will be uncomfortable. That's okay. Sometimes in our comfort, our hunger for God is dulled. Sometimes in our comfort, our hunger for God is dulled. Consider our brothers and sisters around this world who are persecuted, who often go without, without many of the luxuries or things that we take for granted on our end. Consider them and then consider their joy in their salvation, their joy in the Lord, their joy despite real circumstances, like real persecution and not just annoyances. Consider their joy. Oftentimes what we're going with is dulling our hunger for God. So we need to go without it so that we might be with Jesus to a greater degree. If you have a Bible, go Matthew 6. Uh, if you need a Bible, feel free to grab one of the free ones at Guest Connections. After the service, we'd love for you to take one of those. We'll get there in a minute, but let's first talk about the dangers in fasting, and not medically, but spiritually. The Bible in places such as 1 Timothy 4, Colossians 2, talks about how we must be careful to not follow a religious system that would require us to avoid, avoid this food, don't touch this, don't handle that, don't taste that. 1 Corinthians 8.8 8 tells us that food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do eat and no better off if we do. It seems like the, uh, the counter, like this, these verses are counterproductive to this message. But truly, they're not because fasting is not the end goal. Going without or self-denial is not the end goal. The end goal is, the purpose is God himself. To grow closer to him, to grow to be more devoted to him. So please hear me say this. We are not fasting to win approval from God or to earn his love or somehow get on his cosmic good side. That's not the goal or the point of fasting. Martin Luther He said, of fasting, I say this, it is right to fast frequently in order to subdue and control the body. But one should not fast with a view to meriting something by it as by a good work. Some of you are here and you have yet to commit your life to Christ. Don't go out and fast today thinking that's what God wants from you. Fasting does not magically make you acceptable to God, wash away the sin. The good works of fasting... It doesn't save you. Only the grace of God does that. This is why Jesus had to die in our place because we could not do enough good 
to wash away the bad. Better said, we couldn't obey enough to wash away all the disobedience or all the rebellion, which is so often what happens in rural Midwest Bible Belt world. I'm really going to obey. Man, I'm going to nail this. That doesn't save you. It doesn't outweigh the rebellion that's in all of our hearts. Only the grace of God does that. You know, it's, this is not about trying harder. It's about surrendering. It's about laying it before the Lord saying, you take all of me. It's only Jesus, his body, his, his blood, the cross that makes us holy. This great exchange happens where, where Jesus gives us all his righteousness and he take, takes on and took on all our unrighteousness. This is why salvation by grace and through faith is such outrageous and beautiful good news. Because God is not asking you to try harder. He's asking you to surrender yourselves, to throw up our hands and say, Lord, you take all of me. I fully trust in you. I don't trust in myself to save me. Jesus tells a story in Luke 18 about this very truth, dealing with fasting. Luke 18, 10 through 14. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you. I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Good works. He fasts. He gives But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus saying this, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. God is not pleased by our pride, even if our pride is in our good works. He is rather worshipped by our humility. Some of you today, you need to stop trusting your good works to get you to heaven and instead trust in a risen Savior who lived, died, and rose again for you so that you would have life and life to the full both here on this earth and in eternity. So don't wait another, another day. Even as you sit there, you could pray like, like Luke 18 tells us, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because that reveals a heart, a heart that is surrendered, a heart that is completely open, that isn't counting anything they've done as worthy, but instead saying, God, you are worthy, and so thank you for your grace. Have mercy on me, a sinner. If you have questions at all about what that means or to take that next step, A, you can do that at your seat, you and the Holy Spirit. You can just give your life to Jesus. Or you can talk to myself or Eric, a leader around here, prayer team following the service up front. I don't know about you, but I have found that in, um, in many things, even some of the best things, there's a potential dark side to them. For example, if I'm serving and loving my wife, but only doing it to manipulate and get what I want, then my motives are uh, anything but true. On the surface, you would know, man, Dave's really loving his wife and just really serving her. And, but if you were to look at my heart, you'd see that I have some ulterior motives to say the least. If I'm reading my Bible, so, so the only pur- purpose I'm doing it is so that I can appear smart or so people can say, wow, Dave, you really know your Bible, then my motives are false. 
on the surface, you'd think, well, he's reading his Bible. What, what bad can come from that? Nothing but positive can come from that. But again, if you would have x-rayed my heart, you'd see this darkness that intends to feed my pride in that process. So when it comes to fasting, we can fall to the same kind of trap. And this is what Jesus deals with in Matthew, Matthew 6. The section is in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's just talked about prayer. Now he's going to talk about fasting because the two go hand in hand. And verse 16 moves into a short teaching on fasting. Uh, when you fast, he says, not if you fast, but when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others uh, they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In each of us, there's a natural tendency that we want to make much of us, even if we are introverts. And we are prone, uh, we're still prone to kind of love the applause, the respect, or the praise of others. And here Jesus is calling out this kind of attitude or potential that is within each of us. Hypocrisy is trying to look different on the outside than you truly are on the inside. And us church folk are especially good at it. Amen? We are especially good at it. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. And the religious hypocrites, Jesus is saying, are only fasting so that people will notice. So they are, fa- they are tweeting out, so hungry, hashtag fasting for the Lord. <laughs> hashtag I'm really devoted. Hashtag are you? Oh, just like, ooh, the zinger hashtag at the end. The hypocrite's hunger is not for God, but it's for themselves for human attention, for admiration. So when you fast, don't allow your pride to say, well, look how long I went. Oh, you just skipped a meal? Well, I skipped days. Listen, our ability to even fast is not a work of yourself. You didn't do it. Grace of God did it through you. The power of God did it through you. In fasting, we're not trying to impress others, nor trying to impress God. We're surrendering to God. We're getting honest before God. We're humbling ourselves, saying, God, we don't want to be dependent upon ourselves. We don't, fall, we don't want to fall prey to the scheme of self-dependence. Instead, we want to confess with our life, with our actions, we are completely dependent upon you. We go without in order to be with. In fasting, we need to examine our motives. If the motive is wrong, it will lead to a wrong destination. The destination you will land at is feeding your own pride rather than surrender. The goal is not to make yourself really, really hungry or really sad without food. The goal is to go without so that you might be with God. John Piper says, Being seen fasting and fasting to be seen are not the same. Does this mean that you should not tell your spouse if you're married or if you have kids, not tell them, or if you have a roommate or friend, not tell them? Not, not necessarily. When I'm fasting, I tell my wife and children for two reasons. One, uh, it's a spiritual reason. One is a practical reason. The spiritual reason is because I want them to pray for me, to encourage me, and to, uh, to kind of spur me on, hold me accountable. Number two is I tend to get hangry. And, and this is a made-up word that we use in our family. I've had this thing ever since I was a small child. Hangry. When I get hungry, I get angry sometimes. And so when I'm fasting... My family knows this so that when dad gets maybe a little bit chippy, they can call me out on that. 
and say, Dad, okay, you're getting a little hangry. Oh, thank you. Yeah, okay, I didn't even notice that. Blood sugar went down and I got hangry. Maybe that's good for you. Maybe you're raising a child that gets hangry. Does this mean that you can't join others in fasting and praying together? Not at all. Uh, lately, my wife and I are fasting together. We've gone through some seasons for that. So it's good for our relationship, a reminder that we follow Jesus together. There are examples in Scripture where believers fasted together, Acts 13 being one of those. So if there's a common purpose or reason that you're fasting together, then, then talk about that and use that as a focused prayer time together. As a church, I'm praying that we would fast together as a church this month. John Piper says, I said it last week, but when God is the supreme hunger of our hearts, he will be supreme in everything. And that's where God wants to take us. When God is the, when, when God is the supreme hunger of our hearts, he will be supreme in everything. This month, this opportunity is a, is, a, is a chance for us to take a next step in prayer and fasting, to increase our hunger, our desire, our love, our devotion to God. My challenge to each of us is to, to, to determine the next step the Lord is asking you to take when it comes to fasting this month, maybe even this week. I believe God is calling us to, a, uh, to be a church that is collectively fasting and praying this month and build that, really see that more in a, a vital part of our church culture. Not to make much of us, but of Him, so that we would go without in order to be with Him to a greater degree. So that we might go without, so that He might expose the idol or sin that lurks in the dark corners. So that He might transform and renew our minds, so that, so that he, he would lead our hearts, our lives, to be completely dependent upon Him and have no hint of self-dependence in us or in us as a church. If the church, if the uh, band wants to come back up. As we close, uh, the band is, is going to lead us in worship, and we're going to sing together. So my encouragement to you during this time is to use this time uh, to pray. Use this time to whether the, the lyrics lead you in prayer, whether you just simply pray at your seat as you stand. If you need to write something down in your program, feel like the Lord is uh, prompting you with something, speaking to you, then, then write that down. In the program, we always have a few questions for you. What did you learn? What did God say to you? What are you going to do with it? And then who are you going to share it with and when? So consider those questions. Use those as a guide. The church that dreams is first the church that prays and fasts. And the church that dreams is first the church that ultimately hungers for God alone. The church that dreams is full of people who make it a way of life to go without so, that, so they might be with Jesus to a greater degree, to see him do greater things in this community, in our own lives, and in this region, in this world, for his glory. So let's stand up.
This week, if you're unsure of what to pray, here's a simple prayer uh, to pray that ties into what we talked about. God, show me where to go without so I might be with you. Show me where to go without so I might be with you. Our vision is building 3D relationships. We believe one of the best environments for that to happen is around circles instead of rows. These are opportunities for you to take next steps in community this month and early September. Discover Crosspoint starts tonight. Some of you, maybe you've been coming to Crosspoint for a year. Maybe you're brand new. Uh, this would be a great next step for you. Don't just stay on the fringe. Don't just stay in the rows, but take a next step toward community, toward being a part of this uh, family and the mission that God has us on. Women, a study is kicking off this Tuesday. If, you, if Details are in your program, but you can sign up in the back. Uh, we'll order you a book. We'd love for you to be a part of that. Men, a new community group is uh, starting on September, August, or, uh, sorry, uh, Saturday, August 31st. They're going to be going through the life of Jesus told to us through the Gospels. If you're brand new to reading the Bible or if you've been reading it for years, this would be a great opportunity for you to take to get around circles with other men to talk about faith. You can talk about, uh, get info from any of these five gentlemen, Michael Williamson, Dan McLean, Vince Knight, Frank Moore, or Van Friedrich. If you don't know any of those five guys, uh, you need to. And if you don't, we can uh, contact the church office and we'll get you connected to one of those guys so you can get involved. Circles are better than rows. So this week, I pray that God would show us where to go without so we might be with him. Say hi to somebody before you leave, and God bless. Have a great week.